hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's your favorite podcast of the week. These are the facts with our two professional ramblers, myself. Hello, I am Mary Beth, if you don't know me yet. And my bestie for the resty, Miss Brooke. Hello, everyone. I hope you guys are excited for today's episode. We have a very interesting episode planned for you all. Yes, it's a little bit different than what we normally do. It doesn't really relate to the 20s in how we experience, but we know that, well, okay, so we want to talk about this for two reasons. One, because I am very fascinated by cults, and I think that people don't realize how many people get impacted by them. They're not like this break the fourth wall thing. There's a lot of people that unfortunately get trapped into them or are born into them or manipulated into them. And your 20s is a very vulnerable time. So we kind of wanted to talk about that and the psychology of like who's susceptible to a cult and really how they become so successful. So that should you be in a situation where you are recognizing any of these signs or feelings, you can kind of take a step back. Join a cult. (laughs) Yes, you could decide what's best for you. Um, But before we get started, we do have a disclaimer that I'm going to go ahead and read to y'all. So the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the various hosts and guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or viewpoints of the aforementioned subject matter experts, parent companies, or organizations, affiliates, or those previously affiliated with mentioned organizations. Any content provided by our hosts are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note... Let's jump right in. If Ooh. you're going to join a cult, the first thing we got to know is who is susceptible to a cult. All right. So there are quite a few people who are susceptible to a cult. And this comes from a lot of character traits that you might not even realize. So one of the first things is a generalized ego weakness and emotional vulnerability. So people who are looking for love or acceptance that they are not feeling that they are finding in their daily life right now and honestly that's kind of scary because I feel like that can translate to a lot of people yeah when I was researching this um this part right here I because I guess like when I think about it like I've watched a lot of documentaries on cults and how people have been born into them and, and really more so on how people have joined them and then left them so it's from a lot of ex-members perspectives And when they talk about how, you know, it was something as simple as my mother had died or I had a miscarriage and I broke down at a grocery store and like someone took advantage of that situation. Like it's not these scary back alleyway situations that at least I personally thought that it would be like it's it's people on the street. It's everyday. It's people who are pretending to be everyday people. So I thought that that was interesting. I think that's super interesting. And I think that makes it all the more scarier. Yeah, yeah, because you're, it's something that like, mainstream society separates ourselves from. You know, you you watch the documentaries, everyone knows Ted Bundy, everyone knows the serial killers, you hear about them whenever they've done some large act. And you you don't think that it could be someone who's next door to you. Because I think also, when people think about cults, they only think about the extremes of cults they don't think you know about like religion Mm -hmm. like religion is a cult if you look up the definition 
it's mm-hmm. it, it's there and like there are other everyday like cults it's not just those who are killing Secluded in the woods for blood killing, or yeah yeah chanting at all hours of the day so but the second trait that we have seen in our research is those who have propensities towards disassociative states so basically people who don't have like a firm grasp on their reality or a reality who are kind of floating by mentally not working on all cylinders interesting yeah which i found i i I kind of felt like that was taking advantage of people, you know, like Mm -hmm. when I think about people who are undervalued to society or groups who are underserved or those who are in lower income socioeconomic areas of life, that is really who these people target, which makes me sad because they're presenting you this life of, you know, we educate, we give you a roof over your head, like you're doing something for society, society, you are bettering yourself, you are learning how to clear your mind, and give back to the earth, when in reality, you know, that's not, that's not what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I think something else that I find interesting in regards to traits for people who are susceptible is that you can have people who are tenuous and deteriorated with non-existent family relations or not without strong support systems, you know, not Mm -hmm. a lot of friends. Those people are going to be a lot more susceptible because of the fact of that goes back to the emotional vulnerability and wanting to feel that love and acceptance. However, you also have people who get into clubs because of their family patterns and because they have eccentric family patterns. And this is, maybe something that they were born into or something that their family pushed them into within a cult. Um, and so I think that those two ideals, you know, although are very conflicting, are very interesting in how lack of family or because of your family, you can end up in a cult. Yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to basically manipulate someone into doing something that you want to do is if they don't have anyone to tell them No. no. That, that's how people get into Ponzi schemes. That's how people get into multi-level marketing, as people like to call it. It's because no one's there to kind of question their behavior and be like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe we should look into this a little bit more, you know, or, hey, can I bring you along? Can, can I can I ask questions? Like, it, if you're not allowed to ask questions, that's exactly when you should be asking questions. Mm-hmm. So and and I also thought it was interesting when when we were looking at these that not only did it point out those with non-existent families and support systems but those with non-normal family patterns because I think you know today a lot of families who no longer fit like the nuclear unit mold yeah and it, it can show that it's not just orphans or children who grew out without parents or were in the foster system or adopted or anything of the sort. But it's also those who have, you know, two parents and the children and maybe just don't have the best relationship with them or they're looking for something more or there's a pattern of distrust there. Like they're just as susceptible as those who are kind of on their own. I think that's really interesting. I think 
most of it all just ties back into that that first point of emotional vulnerability and you know not having a strong support system there to tell you but it's also interesting in the fact that even if you do have a strong support system mm-hmm. if you like this not does not make you more susceptible but if you do start to gravitate towards a cult typically your family and friends telling you no don't do this or like something sketchy about this that does not dissuade the person from joining and from getting involved yeah because at that point the the cult or or the group has usually been like you know your family's gonna hold you back they don't have Mm -hmm. this higher level of understanding they don't truly get the clarity that you're searching for you're gonna have to cut them off and that's really how they thrive is because they trap you and they take away all of your resources so that you become so emotionally and physically dependent on them and what they're providing that it's so hard to break out and really go back to the life you were living or something close. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Every time I kept looking through all of these different articles and it talked about, like you were saying, the emotional vulnerability, the family, substance abuse was also a, a big thing. It's for every group that relies upon, you know, the clean living and the lack of drugs and alcohol use, there's an equal counterpart that relies heavily upon those substances to really dull and numb the senses of their members and really make them even more reliant upon the the group and the organization and and a lot of times you'll see that heightened usage typically in religion cults because they claim that that's really how you like you'll go on a trip and that's how you meet the higher power whether that's a god or that's an animal of some type or a a fictional human being so i think that's interesting which is why i want to start our second segment of let's play a game everyone's style (laughs) yes cult style i'm so excited okay and so what we're gonna be doing today is we're gonna do two truths and a lie i only have mine pulled up so you better not have mine pulled up because that's cheating since we share a google doc (laughs) (laughs) but so basically we each have two cults and we have two truths and one lie about the cult and basically we give all three facts and then it's up to the other person to kind of figure out what is what's real and what is not real all right hit me with the first one i'm ready okay so this is the first one i have picked out all of these are like pretty common at least for me um so okay this is the first fact possible fact excuse me the leader of this group is believed to be a divine 19 billion year old being who birthed all creation. The leader has been reincarnated 534 times, including popular figures such as Jesus, the Joan of Arc, Marilyn Monroe, and Cleopatra. The group leader is also credited with being the queen of a lost continent called Lemuria. The second love, statement. Love the Marilyn Monroe inclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, she's an icon. Of course. So, this cult has traveled between Texas, Oregon, and Hawaii before settling on the island of Kauai after benign acceptance by the natives as the Hawaiian goddess Pele, who is the goddess of volcanoes and fire, and the creator of the Hawaiian Islands. And the third statement is, the members of this group mummified the remains of the leader, who is believed to be a reincarnation of both popular figures, Jesus Christ and Marilyn Monroe, 
the remains were found in a home in Colorado four months later by police. Interesting. Okay. I feel like... Hmm. So because, I feel like because reincarnation was mentioned twice with mm-hmm. both Marilyn Monroe and, and Jesus that in order for... Well, in order for the first... Oof. I in could order be for tricking the first you, fact though. To be true... By oh, putting sorry. both names in there twice. True, true, true. However, I feel like the first fact has to be true. Okay. You know, I, I just... Yes, because if the first fact was false, like in the reincarnation with that, then it would make less sense for the third fact to also be true. Okay. You know? So I feel like that one's true. Um, okay, final answer. Do you want me to tell you as we go or once you're done? No, once I'm done. Okay. So then I think the second fact, okay, you said Texas, Oregon, Oregon, and Hawaii, Hawaii. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not too familiar with <laughs> any of the cultural practices of those states. Okay. However, I do think from what I remember about my cult research is that a lot of, a lot of cults can like begin and come up fruition from Texas and I don't know Oregon specifically but I feel like it just has that vibe okay but then the Hawaii is really tricking me because I don't know if the Hawaiians would just be like yep this person is our reincarnated goddess Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go with the second fact because it seems out of place with the first two in the reincarnation and that now all of a sudden you are a goddess of Hawaii Living mm-hmm. in the island. Okay. But I'm honestly not sure, but I'm going to go with fact two. Okay. Final answer? Yes. Okay, so you are correct Woo! <laughs> in that this cult, so I left out, so the cult is called Love Has Won, and it is a relatively new one that started in the late 1900s, and it recently came to fame because of the second fact that I told you, which was that the remains of their divine leader was recently found in Colorado a couple months ago by local police who had been alerted by like smells and chantings and basically the members had de- were letting the body decay in oh. this house that a bunch of them 15 to 20 of them lived in and oh, now no, no. oh yeah they, they lived with the oh yes <laughs> Because they thought it was sacred. So they were they were trying to do a modern day mummification is my interpretation of the situation. Because they had taken out certain body parts. Like they had removed her eyeballs and some of her teeth. And attempted to do some internal organs and body liquids as well. Wasn't super successful. So now seven of those members are basically going to go on trial um for i i don't remember what the technical term was but it was like improper burial of a of a body and then like postmortem mutilation oh yeah and this is the second time that that group has had to rebrand so now they're going to have to rebrand again again Ooh, yeah a lot of rebranding <laughs> yes especially in such a short time and then the the, lead, the second fact with them um, that they definitely credit this woman with the lost continent. I couldn't really figure out where they thought the lost continent was, 
but or anything about the continent other than the name of it, which I'm pretty sure I butchered. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that she's been reincarnated 534 times because some of the names that it listed were like relatively close to each other in terms of timeline, but I'm not here to nitpick. And then for the the third one, which was the lie. So they did not actually travel between um, just Texas, Oregon, and Hawaii. They started, so the leader was from Dallas, Texas, which I thought was interesting. And after she had moved, it started in really Colorado, Oregon, California, and Florida, of course. And they had tried to move down to Hawaii, but the natives did not accept them, like I led you to believe. And there was like a huge protest from the locals because they were very angry that this cult's divine leader was trying to say that she was like a human form of their Hawaiian goddess, um, Pele. I was going to say, I feel like the Hawaiians just wouldn't, you know? No, that's like a, that's a no. They are very... That's like a huge form of disrespect, which is what had made them yeah. so angry. All right. Woo. Yeah. One down. I feel so proud. Yeah. I, 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 when I was researching these, I was like, I can only do this during daylight because I'm going to get scared. <laughs> Same. So, but we made it. Okay. Do you want to do one or do you want me to do my second one? Uh, you can go ahead and do your second one. Okay. So this is the second one that I have. Two truths and a lie. So... The first statement is that this cult is considered to be the birth group of Christianity and Judaism by its followers. Followers, sorry. It is considered by many to be the... Wait, I just stated that. Oh, okay. It's considered to be... Yeah, let me restart that. (laughs) I wrote the same statement twice, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's okay. All right. Ready? And in three, two, one. So the first statement that I have is that this group is considered by many to be the father of both Christianity and Judaism. And even some of the ancient Romans decreed Sunday was to be named in honor of the deceased leader. The second statement is that after 50 years, this cult was one of the first cults to be established as an official religion. And the third statement is that many followers and non-followers come together to celebrate the birthday of the leader on a day that we know as winter solstice. Interesting. Okay. So the first one was that... What was the first? Can you repeat the first one? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. The first statement was that many consider this cult to be the father of both Christianity and Judaism and the ancient Romans even decreed Sunday was to be named. So the seventh day of the week was to be named in honor of their deceased leader. Okay. Hmm. I feel like that one just seems sketchy to me. Okay. I don't know why it just, it's popping out as doesn't feel right because. I mean, if they thought he was a God, the Romans were very big on religion. Yes. However, I do not, I don't know that that fact just seems like it doesn't, 
I can't tell you why. It just doesn't feel correct. Okay. Um, number two was... Sorry. After, <laughs> after 50 years, this cult was one of the first to be established as an official religion. I feel like that could be correct because, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the definition between religion and cult, I mean, they are a lot of blurred lines there. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like 50 years is enough time for... I mean, it's still not a long time at all compared to most religions, but I feel like it's enough time for, like, modern-day people to be like, yeah, that's a religion, or that's been around long enough. I feel like cults are typically a very short time period type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. usually at most a decade. So I feel like that could be true. Okay. And then the third one was... The third one was many followers and non-followers come together to celebrate the birthday of the leader on a day we know as winter solstice. Okay. Um, I also feel like that could be true because, I mean, okay, so definitely I'm sure the followers would come together and celebrate their leader's birthday. But would non-followers? I don't think non-followers would... um, consciously do so or like intentionally do so Mm -hmm. but they may be counting on the fact that like it so happens to be on the winter solstice so therefore like whoever celebrates the winter solstice they are saying that you are celebrating our leader's birthday because it so happens to be on this important day to your life even though that's not at all what you're celebrating Mm -hmm. it's kind of my thought process with that why would they also be celebrating the leader they would just be having a day like a party yes but I, I don't know i don't know i feel like maybe maybe it wasn't intentional that they're doing so or they're celebrating something completely different i don't know i'm gonna go with fact one final answer this is this is a lot it's very confusing okay so your final answer is um it's considered by many to be both the father of christianity and judaism Yes. And the ancient Romans decreed Sunday, which was the seventh day of the week, to be named in the honor of a deceased leader. Yes. Okay, you are correct. Again, you're really good at this. Um, so this cult is actually a cult that no longer exists. It's known as, like, one of the official cults. It wasn't termed a cult whenever it was up. It's now one of the more original ones that cults tend to base their form off of it's called the cult of soul invictus which basically means that it is um a it's based around a official sun god of the late roman empire that's going to be soul invictus and a translation of that is basically the unconquered sun and however this recently has been in the news a couple years back because the longstanding views on Sol Invictus have basically come under attack because they are now like the scholarly, scholarly community has become very divided and growing groups of what they call themselves revisionists, which basically means that there was two entirely different sun gods in Rome. And the first was Sol Indiges or Sol, which they think was an early deity or a minor god who had been cut out by... Um, 1 AD and then Sol Invictus was actually they think a Syrian sun god whose 
like cult of followers had first been promoted in Rome under El El Eliga Ballas, who was a former Roman Empire from 218 to 222 before he was killed. So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. And it was in 274 AD that the Roman Emperor Aurelian did establish the cult as an official religion alongside other traditional Roman cults, which is kind of where the beginning of religion as a cult tied in. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very surprised that I got both correct. I was just straight guessing on statements I felt correct or not. Yeah, when I was making them, I was like, oh, I I really thought you would go for the second one with the non-followers, because why would non-followers celebrate the birthday of a leader of a group that they don't identify with? Mm. Which is why I was kind of like, Brooke, we're not here celebrating winter solstice, and it just happens to be a group's leader birthday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was trying to give you like like fake you out because it was like it not that I said soul in here <laughs> at all so you wouldn't know but like when I said it you you would be like oh soul sun winter solstice this makes sense mm. no I was just like I don't know maybe we don't know about you're like maybe this is the 70s maybe this was Woodstock who knows who knows honestly all right I'm sorry. are you ready I'm ready. I'm ready to learn. There's so okay. many. Hit me with them. So I'm going to tell you the name of the cult beforehand. Okay. Ooh, mixing so, it up. Yes. So okay. the cult, the first one that I'm going to do is called the Ant Hill Kids. Kids. Okay. Yes. So. Honey, I've is... shrunk the kids. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so here is the first fact, which is. Okay. The Ant Hill kids were not allowed external contact with the world and therefore had no form of earning money and making a living. They would live off the land and use whatever their immediate environment offered them. Okay, that's roughing it. <laughs> roughing it. Fact two is the cult leader, Therio, became paranoid to the point that his followers were not allowed to speak with each other without Therio present. Okay, that would I've seen similar things. Okay. Okay. And then the third fact is that when Therio became angry with his followers or children, he would take on the role of surgeon. A person would be held down by other members, fully conscious, and he would go to work on them with available kitchen utensils, pliers, and or blowtorches. I want that one to not be true so bad, but... You know, me too. I... Okay. So we have... They use what's around them. Mm-hmm. No contact with the outside world. And no, they're not able to have jobs. Yes. The second statement is that they're not allowed to talk to each other without him being present. Was that when he was angry or all the time? It was all the time. All the time. Yeah. Okay. And that was for all members? All members. Okay. And then the third one is sur- he, he thinks he's a surgeon. thinks yes. he's Grey's Anatomy. Okay. See, so I'm kind of leaning towards the second one because in other groups that I know of, that is relatively commonplace, but it's commonplace for those who are like higher up or if they're under a trial for 
an infraction or doing something against the bylaws because the leader doesn't want there to be communication to where they can like get their story together or if there's a disagreement between the top leaders he doesn't want one persuading them one way or another but all of the members see i feel like that's not attainable but if the cult took a vow of silence and only you are allowed to break it in his presence when directly spoken to i could also see that that wouldn't surprise me as a tool of control. And the surgeon one scares me. But <laughs> surgeon scares me as well. <laughs> I just I feel like if because then I'm like that scares me, but it would also make sense. But if there had been people who had left, I feel like they like the police would have found out or someone, some external member would have found out and like that would have been handled with properly. But that also relies on that being a modern day cult of which one of mine was not. And a former member actually going to tell authorities and that not being under religious persecution. But if they're awake, then that's not allowed. Nor is it when they're dead. And I'm assuming these people don't have medical licenses. So that would be a correct assumption. (laughs) (laughs) She said they don't have a medical school on campus on property. I I'm going to have to go with the second one. Cause I just think that would be such a limiting factor towards growth. If none of the members could talk to each other, like how would new people get acclimated? I'm I'm going to have to go with that. I'm not confident in my vote though. All right. So Second statement, final answer. I'm going with it. I'm going with it. All right. You are incorrect. I'm incorrect? Yes. So the false statement, which you actually didn't touch on, was the first one. And it is that the Ant Hill kids were not allowed external contact with the world and therefore had no form of earning money and making a living. They would live off the land and use whatever immediate environment offered them. Ah, see, Um, that one just seemed way too reasonable for me. You would think, but when are cults ever reasonable? So they actually made their living off of baking. um, And they made Uh. baked goods and then sold them to the world. And that's how kind of how they made their small revenue. Of course, it is not really enough to live properly off of baked goods. So they still did live in pretty much abject poverty um, as they moved around from place to place. Because... Therio, who was their cult leader, was extremely paranoid. And so he believed that, you know, the outside influence, if they stayed in one place for too long, it would taint the cult. Um, And because he was so paranoid, that's what made statement two true, because he was just, he did not want his, his followers talking with each other without him being present. And he would oftentimes spy on his followers. Mm. And yeah. And then, unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, he did like to play surgeon. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You know, go to work on his patients. And actually, that is, you did bring up a good point of like, that is, you know, somebody would find out. And that is how the um, cult was exposed to authorities and came to light because he would experiment and play surgeon on people and. One woman had died because he, with his 
hands ripped out his her intestines. Oh, pleasant. Yes, and then, um, but he thought himself as a god, so he was like, you know, I can fix it. I can bring it back. Resurrection is my thing. Mm-hmm. And in order to resurrect her, he drilled a hole in her head and then had all the males in the camp ejaculate into her <gasps> hole. She did not, in fact, come back. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. So that was like the main like thing that happened that started to, to um for one of the members to kind of be like, maybe, maybe this is a little a little strange. But so- they still had really strong devotion sorry no you're fine was were these um surgical endeavors like open to all of the members like he was doing this in front of them yes so the other members would hold the person down because they were fully conscious Mm. so they would they would be the ones holding each other like holding the members down as he would go and do whatever discipline hell that he brought onto his followers i just stockholm syndrome is real and it terrifies me sometimes that it can really go to this extent extent to where you would be complacent and and act as a human yes yeah so the the reason why this this cult had actually come into the light was because one of the ex-members had mm-hmm. um, endured blow torches to her genitals, had <gasps> eight of her teeth taken out, and a hypodermic needle breaking off in her spine. Broken um, off? Yep. Into, in her spine. Um, and this wasn't even enough to make her fully leave. He had, the cult leader, had cu- Thero, Thero, had cut off one of her fingers and nailed her hand to a table to amputate her entire arm. But that still wasn't enough until finally um, he started amputating parts of her breast and then smashing her head in with an axe. And that is what finally led this woman to leave and contact the authorities. And then that is when the entire cult kind of came into light. And then in 1989, the people were finally free. But this was a very pretty recent shindig. Oh my gosh. Could that woman walk? I don't know. I honestly don't know how she escaped with I mean That's some was, serious physical trauma. Yeah. Serious physical trauma. And there were many of the members had been amputated or lo- like they lost limbs, they had lost teeth, they had just physical trauma all over the place because he liked to play surgeon whenever he was mad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm very much surprised that it's the first one. I, because when you said Ant Hill, I was thinking of ants and like, I was thinking of queens, mm-hmm. like the queen. And so I was like, that's probably going to make these other two make sense. But then I was like, ants are very self sustaining and they don't, like, they're very strong. They can carry a lot of weight in comparison to their body weight, but they don't like, they don't not that ants don't serve a purpose because ants do serve a purpose, but they, they're not like one of the top of the food chain anywhere. 
So they would get taken advantage of, which I thought was the comparison with the children. And then ants are very like mobile. And so I didn't think that they would be able to put down roots, which would make sense with the surgeon thing in my head and the silence. But then I also didn't think the silence would work with them having jobs. You know, I didn't, I didn't think so either, but I think it just, you know, Therio, the cult leader just developed to a point of paranoia where he was like, you know what? Communication. I guess, I guess that's true. If it like developed over time and wasn't like a, a thing from the beginning. Yeah. It wasn't a thing from the beginning. It was definitely something that developed over time where, Eventually, the, the cult members were just not allowed to talk unless he was present. It's, I think there's a lot of this. That's just wild. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What, what's, what's your second one? All right. So the second one is – I'm, again, going to tell you the, the name. And okay. it is Marcus Wesson, who is known as the Vampire King. Oh, gosh. Yes. So statement Wait, one. that's the name? Yes. It was, it was a familial cult. So, so the, the name is Marcus Weston, the Vampire King. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, statement one. He, quote-unquote, married his eight-year-old stepdaughter. Okay. Statement two is Maytorina, who is the mother of the eight-year-old girl, and Marcus Weston, who is the cult leader, his wife, did not approve of this and fought to protect her daughter, but was unable to leave Wesson out of fear. That's two two statements? One statement. Those are two separate statements. Okay. And then the third statement is Marcus Wesson was arrested because of a custody battle that had broken out. Okay. So was the custody battle between him and his wife, or was it between members, if you know? It was not between him and his wife. It was between him and um members okay okay so here's my thought process give it to me based on that answer i i'm leaning towards him attempting to marry the eight-year-old child would be true because if he is a vampire king then they could be assuming that she's only eight in her human form, but that she's much older in vampirian years. Okay. Which that makes, makes sense. me think the second fact, I'm thinking that's the lie because a lot of these cults disband traditional family units and ties especially between mothers and children the children are seen more as like communal property and if my rationale for the first one is true then this woman would really only be like her human mother which wouldn't the the thought train of stopping it wouldn't be allowed like there would have been drastic action taken against her and you didn't mention anything about her dying so that makes me believe she's still alive and she just didn't attempt to leave and i feel like mother's intuition and protection of their child is very strong and mothers would go very far to protect their children so she i feel like if that one was the truth she would have left but on the flip side if there had been a whole shishka bang 
that had arisen as a result of her defiance, then the vampire king could have put them under like extreme security. Or if they're vampires, they could have like locked them underground. So I have mixed thoughts on that one. And the third one, a custody battle. See, this is where I'm kind of, I don't know, because he he could have had sister wives. Like, they could have been polyamorous. hmm Which, if that was the case, then I don't think he would have taken an eight-year-old wife. If you had said 16 or in their age, then I think I would have been with it. So I think... But, but, I also, like, this was a legal custody battle, like, in the United States court, or wherever it is, like, in a governmental court? Um, no, they were, sorry, a custody battle, like, yelling. They were, they were yelling outside, and that's what drew the attention to the cult, was the authorities came. Okay, so someone reported as a domestic dispute. Yes. Okay, sorry. so it was internal. Yes. Okay. All right, that kind I of should have avoided that. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, they're supposed to make me think. Well, then I'm thinking if if an outsider reported it, then they had to have been spread out to some extent. So they couldn't all. It couldn't have been like communal, which makes me think that the eight year old he didn't try. He didn't try to marry her, but then that invalidates the second one. Because if it had been communal, it would have been a lot easier to get away with because they would have been isolated. But if they were isolated, then one in three makes sense. So then two would have been gone. But I have much more faith in that child's mother. I would hope so. Maybe it's misaligned. I, okay. Just out of sake of the first one... Read me the second statement again. All right. May Tarina, who is the mother of the eight-year-old stepdaughter, did not approve of this and fought to protect her daughter, but was unable to leave Weston out of fear of harm for her and her daughter. I'm going to have to go with the third one because I definitely think the first is true because the first would be with either the second or the third. And I really think the only way that that could have happened is if they were in an isolated communal area. So I'm going to have to go with a third one, that it was a domestic dispute that was heard by an outsider and reported. I think that's the lie. All right. You are incorrect again. Think what? (laughs) No. Which one? Which one's? Hold on. Okay. The false statement was that Maytarina, the mother of the girl and the wife, did not approve. Um, She she yep she fully approved but merely insisted that he marcus wesson waited until the girl was of legal age to marry which was Ah. 15 however um he kind of took sexual liberties with her and she became pregnant with his child at 14 and they were wed as soon as she was of legal age which was 15 Yes. So he did attempt to marry his eight-year-old stepdaughter, though, while, like, in his house. Mm-hmm. He, he did the whole, like, place your hand on the Bible, made, do vows and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, the, the mother was not against it. She just 
wanted her to be of legal age to be married so that the marriage was seen as truthful what state was this in that 15 is legal age <sighs> um oh gosh i don't i do not know off the top of my head oh it was i believe it was idaho texas no I think oh it was texas. texas yeah and this is a modern day one um he it was like 1950s i want to say ah okay yes so the custody battle the like domestic um so they lived in their own secluded house and it was not exactly communal but they really didn't try and venture out into the world a lot, specifically the women, because of the fact that um, Marcus Wesson was extremely uh, suppressive and did not think that women deserved any type of rights oh, or anything. Um, but the reason that this happened was that two of the girls who were his stepdaughters, I believe, eventually got out um, but in order for them to get out, he said that they had to leave their children behind, the children of which he fathered. Mm. Yes. And so they were so desperate to get out that they did so, not realizing how messed up the that family and that commune actually was. And so once they got out into the real world and realized, wow, we, li- we lived through some effed up shit Mm -hmm. um they tried to go back and get their children they they had two children i believe these two girls between themselves um and that's when they started yelling at with him um but they knew that there was a suicide pact of if there ever was like local authorities to come into the house or anything like that to happen then the mothers were supposed to shoot all the children and then themselves and so eventually, like, they were yelling and they were telling them to bring out their children. He was saying no. Um, somebody called the authorities and the authorities arrived. They, the two women said, like, explained that they shouldn't go in there because of the fact that, like, there is a suicide pact. Um, the local authorities did not take that into consideration. And Wesson came out, talked with them, said um, he'd be happy to hand the children over. They just want to say goodbye, that he just wants to say goodbye to them. And kill them. He went back into the house. 30 minutes later, um, he came back out and it was covered in blood. And the authorities went in and found piles of corpses. <sighs> yes. And so the reason why it's called the Vampire King was because, well, he was called the Vampire King, was because he believed that he was God and that Jesus Christ was a vampire. Oh, I definitely thought that was tied to like immorality, immortality. No, Uh, um, yes, yes, that would be the correct word. (laughs) Yes. Okay. No, it was. He really just wanted to be like a preacher to, you know, his family, and he wanted to be like the shepherd that guides the family to the light, and yeah. How many people were in this? Um, I believe so. It was like, it was, was it just those in his house? Yes, it was just those in his house. That's why I said it was like a familial cult. However, it was so he married Maturina, mm-hmm. who had eight children at the time <gasps> that he married her. Like before him? Yes. Oh, my lordy. 
And then he continued to try and impregnate her and then continued to impregnate her children mm-hmm. and then impregnated the children's children. And just, yeah. So, so it grew to be a very large family, yeah. one would say. Um, because he believed that incest was a way of passing down the purity of one's family. Did he have any sons? Yes, I I believe I believe he did. Yes, he did. And the sons were just kind of there. I mean, yeah, they they were there as well and they they worked um and they brought home like wages that all yeah. went to Marcus so that he could apparently eat a lot of fast food. Oh. Yes. Um oh, Elizabeth, the 8-year-old girl who he tried to marry who he then married at age 15 yes he um fathered 10 more children with her before she reached the age of 26 that's one every year yeah yes it was that's a huge house that's a compound yeah well it also i mean they also mentioned how their cult was like the members were in basically like poverty because all of their wages that they that the males could earn went to Wesson and he just used that to basically eat everything apparently but when he was arrested he was like 300 pounds oh wow um yeah and the rest of the family got like a cup of rice like maybe for meals um and they they did also i believe move around a lot they Believe... I'm sorry. I was I was wrong earlier. It was not Texas. It was California. Okay. Thank you. Did, Let me correct myself. Did they believe in modern medicine? I just feel like it. It wouldn't have been possible for even any of these women to have given birth or even like had any kind of accident in a medical facility, and not someone Realizing? thought to ask que- at least ask questions. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't ever talk about, in the research that I did, it doesn't ever talk about them going to medical facilities. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that these were all, like, at-home births. Especially because the women were not, like, they really allowed to have that much, if any, outside right. contact. But yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, especially because at one point in time, before he even started fathering children, there were, mm-hmm. like, 16 children in the house. Mm. Because... Oh my gosh. Yes, so his wife brought in her eight children. And then I believe one of her oldest children of the wife had another seven children. And then they were brought into the house. So that, and that was before he even started following this thing. Yeah, following with. Wow. Yeah, he, he was eventually sentenced to, well, he was sentenced to death row. And then he was not pardoned, but he was released from death row, and then was just um, life in prison without the chance of parole, parole. And then a fellow prisoner stabbed him and killed him and sliced him up. Yeah, I do have to say, even though there's a lot of if ands, or buts about our prison system, those mates, if you hurt children, mm-hmm. they do not take kindly to no. pedophiles and rapists. You can nope. consider yourself DOA. Yep. Well, they, they, they took him out. Well, 
they did the deed. And speaking of the deed, do you want to introduce our next segment? All right. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about cult psychology because Ooh. one of the big questions that I feel like everybody has whenever we talk about cults or, you know, you talk about cults with your friends is like, why do people join cults? Why do people put themselves into these situations and, you know, are unable to leave? So the first thing that we really touched on earlier was, and this is the main, the main reason is that people join cults because they are looking for love and acceptance and they want answers to their personal problems in their lives. I think that's valid. Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at documentaries or books or, you know, you go to museums or see relics of ones that have done their time, it's always providing an open hand. Correct. And I think that, you know, this is a problem that can be found anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like everybody is looking for love and acceptance. And there are so many people who feel as if they don't have that and are isolated from their family, from their friends, from the world. And then they just end up finding this person who is promising that they will have unconditional love and full acceptance into their community and a familial setting and ties. And that sounds, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Until you actually get there and someone's playing surgeon on you. Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of these, you know, when people talk about cults and, and like we did earlier, you, you think of the extremes of it. And not all of them are extremes, especially when you look at a lot of the religious ones. You know, there definitely are some quirks in them, shall we say. But a lot of them are just have beliefs that are not accepted in mainstream society and if that festers for too long that's really when we start to see them shift towards the extreme but some of them like one of ones i learned about is this church who believes that their deity is a flying spaghetti monster (laughs) but like other than that they're pretty like normal you know they're not all under vows of silence or having 10 children when their bodies are about to give out. They're just looking for a group of people, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, one, one of the things that makes people most susceptible to cults. And it's one of the main, it's like the main reason why people join cults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and also, you know, another note that you have here that I'm reading is that these leaders are very charismatic. And a lot of times they are males who are very attractive and maybe are in like high positions of power. And they're taking, they're grooming these young women, typically from young ages who maybe have a lack of a father figure or don't have a mother or are kind of isolated in their high school and, you know, if a cute man is offering you all of this security, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are going to take advantage of that, you know, and yep. and be offered that security that they don't have at that moment. Yes, and that is, that is something I was going to touch on. Thank you. Because it is so often that these leaders are just extremely charismatic and they are often very, you know, physically, visually appealing. 
mm-hmm. you are much more likely to go with somebody who looks normal who looks normal who looks conventionally attractive than somebody who looks like they just were peeled off a sidewalk offering you you know undying love um yeah. and and they convince you that everything that they're doing is normal yeah you know like oh you just don't get it you just don't get it you're not on that higher plane of understanding yet yeah yeah and that's brings me to my next point which is that most times um these individuals who are joining cults are very deeply emotionally scarred typically Mm -hmm. from childhood trauma specifically um Mm, interesting yes and are willing to go beyond the bounds of normalcy in order to meet their deeply felt needs See, I didn't realize that a lot of it was targeted for childhood trauma. Yes, because most of people's deep-rooted issues do come from childhood trauma. And a lot of that feeling of being unloved, unaccepted, comes from trauma. Specifically, you know, abusive Mm -hmm. households, whether it is physical, verbal, or sexual abuse as a child, um, those people are much more likely to go beyond the bounds of normalcy because their their idea of normalcy is already skewed mm-hmm. based on their childhood that pushing beyond that does not seem so outlandish to them as it would to other members of society. So how do these leaders convince all of these followers who have never, like, really been shown true love or, you know, have experienced a lot of trauma? How do they really get to that point with these people to open them enough and convince them that there needs to be a suicide pact or a blood pact or, like, you need to die whenever I ask, you know? Yes, so that is something that's really interesting, and that is that people within a cult and the followers come to fully believe that their own redemption and that their happiness and that feeling of love is going to be solely dependent on that leader. Mm-hmm. So if the if the leader dies or if the leader goes away or whatever the case may be, then so does that feeling of love and acceptance, and so does their redemption essentially for life um and yeah and so they just kind of basically essentially base everything that is good that they believe is good and feelings of goodness in their life and tie it to that one leader and then if he tells them we're making a suicide pact then you know we're making a suicide pact because if he dies and so does everything good yeah, and I guess if they don't agree to it, then, you know, they can potentially be outed or punished or yes. not and, a member anymore. And that is one of the one of the biggest issues is that if you don't believe, like, fully in your leader enough to um, agree to a suicide pact, then you will be considered no longer, like, an authentic member of the group, which is terrifying to a, lo- a lot of mm-hmm. members of cults because... This is the only people they have now. Right. That's it. And so if you are no longer seen as an authentic member, like you, you have no one. So. so how do, I guess, how does the jump happen from those people, 
you know, maybe failing to agree at critical points or really realizing that their sense of normalcy is skewed? How do they go from that to making the decision to to leave and actually, you know, executing? So that's really interesting because it occurs in two different ways, whether you're an adult or a child. Okay. So for adults, say they've already been, they've been indoctrined into this and this is, you know, what they know and, you know, they fully believe. But now all of a sudden they're starting to realize that, hey, something seems strange. Maybe I need to kind of get out of this dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes, family members, friends, anybody externally telling them that they need to get out has zero effect. Um, they, it just doesn't really, it just doesn't work, simply put. Um, you mentioned earlier, because most of the times it's that, you know, they don't understand, they're trying to bring you down, and you're elevating to a higher plane. Um, mm-hmm. And also, a lot of times, the only way to break through this is either excessive amounts of trauma, bring, like bringing more trauma to a person, which obviously we don't want to do and deprogramming doesn't always work that well either because like it usually takes a lot of emotional breaking and we just don't need that like these poor cult members do not need any more emotional roller coasters Mm -hmm. so one of the things that they really do and what leads to a cult exit is that the members slowly kind of begin to realize that the cult is not living up to its promises Mm -hmm. to heal and save and love and then they begin to question their presence and that kind of leads to the beginning of the descent and from there a lot of times reaching out to family members and former friends and seeing that their unconditional love and their help willingness to help um usually begins also begins the initiation of the beginning of the exiting journey Mm-hmm. Do you know any statistics of how many people have actually, like, successfully left? I do not. No. That, I mean, that's fine. You, We can touch back on that. I'm, I'm sure there's probably not a lot of information out there about that kind of um, numbers because people just don't know how many people are in, you know, these these groups, especially some of the more mainstream ones because you really only society has really been trained to only see a problem with the extreme ones that are you know having body mutilation or underage children abuse or you know suicide packs that are executed or anything of the sort that is not really mainstream and they don't think of really the ones of people who have left from underground group cults or those that are kind of newer shall we say and their roots not as form or have been you know disbanded and then regrouped under a different name so i I think that that would be hard to find yeah a lot of times also um people will leave cults and they either are sworn to secrecy if they are allowed to leave Mm -hmm. Um, or if they left without permission, then they probably don't want to bring a lot of attention to themselves because they will most likely, you know, be ordered for execution by the cult leaders. Yeah. So not a lot of statistics on that. 
However, um, oh, I did want to mention that it is different for kids, for children who are trying to, who are beginning the call exit, because Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, the main point with children is to respect the individual, individuality within kids. Um, Most, all cults do not allow individuality and push groupthink to the point of hostility. And then, you know, as children learn that this is not the only way of existence and that there are other people who allow you to be yourself, that kind of leads them to slowly drift away. Yes. So that was our cult episode. And I hope that that was informative for everyone. It was definitely very informative for me. A little horrifying at times, but... Yeah, it's it's very scary when you start to think about who lives and acts and thrives on the edges of society. Yeah. So, but I think that's a great place for us to go ahead and end. We want to thank y'all for listening. As usual, we put out weekly episodes on Tuesday on every platform where you get and listen to your podcast. You could follow us on Instagram at These Are The Facts Podcast to see what we have coming up for the next week. And give us a follow on Twitter at T-A-T-F pod i hope y'all have a wonderful rest of your day Mm -hmm.